We are uh, continuing in our walk through the book of Ephesians. Last time we concluded at the end of chapter 1, that first section of the book of Ephesians, which we've called the fullness. And that chapter 1 concluded with a prayer. And Paul prayed uh, that we would be able to see some things, that the Spirit of God would enlighten our eyes to see some things so that we would know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now we're going to start into chapter 2 this morning, very famous passage of Scripture. One verse out of this passage, well, really we're going to talk about that verse next time, is one of the most commonly memorized verses in the Bible. Well, in chapter 2, we want to remember that we're still talking about this thing that Paul prayed that we would be able to see. And especially, we're talking about the great power, the surpassing greatness of His power toward us believers. Surpassing greatness means greatness you can't see the greatness of because it's too great. This power, he said, in the last week's chapter, this power, he said, is the same power that God was working when He raised Jesus from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That power. Now, I just wanted to begin this morning by remembering that is what we're talking about, that power. And this week, we're going to see how exactly God has exercised that same power toward us who believe. Toward us. And we're going to see we were in a particular condition, a dire condition, and God intervened. And we're going to see what was that condition. We're going to see what was the nature of God's intervention. And we're going to see what was God's ultimate purpose in this intervention. What was he aiming at when he did this thing that he did, exercising this surpassingly great power? So, what was our condition? This is the beginning of chapter 2. And you were dead. Well, that is not good news. 
This is the power he exercised when he raised Jesus from the dead, and you were dead. You were dead. Now, we should be clear, this text does not say you were about to die or you were in danger of dying or you were in a perilous situation that would ultimately lead to your death. It does not say that. It says you were dead. It's very common to illustrate the gospel with a drowning man. So you're in the middle of the ocean. There's no possible way you can swim to safety. You cannot, by your own strength, save yourself. And then Jesus comes along, and he is the commander of a lifeboat, and he fishes you out, and you're saved. That's a very common illustration. R.C. Sproul likes to say this. Mm, That's not really the situation. It's more like you had already drowned and you're resting there at the bottom of the ocean. Dead already. So you're not dying, you're dead. How is it you're dead? Well, you're dead in a certain condition. And this condition is another way of saying dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to walk. So we're kind of like zombies, walking dead. It's not that we're unanimate, but we're dead. And we're dead in a certain condition. Trespasses, trust to trespass is to go out of bounds. And what this text really says is, you have gone out of bounds. In fact, the teaching of Scripture is, Adam and Eve went out of bounds and the rest of us were born out there. Out of bounds. In trespass land, and sins in which you used to walk. To sin is to miss a target. Because we went out of bounds, we turned away from fellowship with God, which is life, to operating independently, and operating independently is always Missing the mark. To operate apart from God is to miss the purpose for which you were made, which is to operate out of fellowship with God and from God's resources to live in reflection of God's very image into the creation. That is the mark which, because we are out of bounds, we always miss trespasses and sins. Now he goes on. In which you formerly walked according to, how did we walk? According to the course of this world, we walked. 
according to the prince of the power of the air. So in the dominion of Satan himself you walked. He goes on to describe that spirit, the spirit that is now at work, now working, now animates the zombies. Now working in the sons of disobedience. That's how we walked. Dead. Subjects subject to the enemy, slaves of sin. What that means is that even when we do something good or right, outside of dependence upon God, we're walking in slavery to sin. Serving our own self. Now, that's what he says next. You, every, you all were, walk this way. Among them, that is, among the sons of disobedience, that is, you were one of the sons of disobedience. Formerly, you used to be one of the sons of disobedience. Indulging, you lived in the lusts of the flesh. Well, that's a archaic expression, I think. What does that mean? We all used to live according to our own self-absorbed desires. Martin Luther described the uh, human condition and our fallenness as uh, an ingrown soul curved in on ourselves so that our lives revolve around ourselves. And this can be done even religiously, even with great piety, but still revolving around self. We all used to live in our own self-absorbed desires. And he goes on, uh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So in our fallen condition, it wasn't, it's not just our material being that has been corrupted, but also our mind, our thinking. The scripture or the theologians call this the newthetic consequence of sin. That means how sin corrupts our reasoning capacities so that we can't reason well. And what this text says is we used to go about living in our own self, doing whatever we thought of, whatever the flesh wanted. That's our condition. As a consequence, he says, you were by nature children of wrath. You were by nature children of wrath. 
I believe that's really just referring to the concept of original sin that says the sin of Adam is on us still because he alienated all of us from God. We all are children of wrath. We are all subject to the judgment of God. <clears throat> the judgment upon Adam in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so Paul starts here, you were dead. Children of wrath. So to say by nature we're children of wrath is just another way of saying you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. And then he has this interesting expression, even as the rest. In other words, just like everyone else. You were one of the many sons of disobedience, the children of Adam, the dead ones who alienated from God in out-of-bounds land trespass in everything you do. Sin, miss the goal all the time because you've been incapacitated by this breakdown in fellowship with God. The best two words in the whole Bible are the next two words in this paragraph. But God. <laughs> but God. But God, you were dead. Done for. Over. But God... And then he gives these two expressions. One is something about God, and the second is, and you were dead. The first thing is, God being rich and mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. And I want to say here, see again chapter 1. Oh, remember the homework for our study of the book of Ephesians? Read chapter 1 every day. Every spiritual blessing, every spiritual blessing, and then, of course, they're spelled out there, and they conclude with this, this great exercise of the power of God toward us believers. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us. <laughs> rich. Here's another fun homework assignment if you uh, want to spend some time in the book of Ephesians. Go through the book of Ephesians and look for words that say something rich. What's rich? What's abounding? What's full? What's surpassing? Find them. It's amazing. <clears throat> God being rich in mercy. This word mercy is a great word. It's about compassion. Now, this isn't... This is something about God. God is 
merciful. He has an abundance of mercy. And because he is this way, notice the verb here is being rich in mercy. And you might ask the question, well, why is he so rich in mercy? Well, because of the great love with which he loved us. Great. (laughs) That's another rich word. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, and then he repeats our condition, even when we were dead in our transgressions, And this is a, I like to translate this very literally, which is like, and us being dead out of bounds. Because God is rich in mercy, even when we're dead out of bounds, what did he do? Made us alive together with Christ made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. That's in parentheses in my translation, but by grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him. Now, made us alive and raised us up are just two ways of saying the exact same thing. We were dead, he made us alive. He raised us up. That is the word for resurrection, raised from the dead. And seated us with him. Now, again, he's just repeating what he said in chapter 1, isn't he? This power that God exercised when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated him, he also exercised when he raised us up from the dead, when he made us alive together with him, when he seated us in Christ in the heavenly places. Oh, and in the heavenly places is also the place where you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Right in the third verse, first sentence. In the heavenly places. And in the middle of this is the first time he says, by grace you have been saved. By grace. And, you know, in the famous memory verse, by grace you have been saved through faith. He doesn't mention the through faith bit here yet. And if you read this text, you were dead, but God, because of who God is, made you alive, raised you up, seated you together in Christ in the heavenly places. There is nothing for you to do. There is nothing about you that inspired him to do this except that you were dead. The only thing that moves God about you is your dead condition. And so it's because of who He is, His great mercy, and the love, the great love with which He loved us, 
that he did these things. And he does these things. He does them. And that expression by grace means without any obligation. He doesn't owe anyone this. He does it because he is full of mercy. There's no obligation. There's nothing for you to do. His mercy is pure. His mercy is pure. And this is a very interesting expression. <laughs> it's <clears throat> grammatically I'm talking about now. It's basically it says this. By grace, you are having been saved. There's a present tense verb, your current condition. You currently are such a person that has been saved. Perfect tense and passive voice, which means it's something done to you, not something you did. Well, of course, if you're dead, you didn't save yourself. It has been done for you, and it is an accomplished fact that continues in your life today. If you have been saved, you are saved. That is not a reversible condition. God has done it. It is done and done. He made us alive. He raised us up. He seated us in Christ. That's how He did it, in Christ. In Christ. So that when Christ died, you can read about this in Romans 6, in, when Christ died, you, in union with Christ, also died. And when Christ was raised, you, in union with Christ, were also raised. So that now you have the opportunity to walk in newness of life. You used to walk this old sons of disobedience way. Now you have the opportunity to walk in a new life altogether because you have been raised in Christ. The resurrection has already been applied to you and will be even more applied to you when he comes. Uh, wow. By grace you have been saved <clears throat> in Christ. Now, there's another very important little feature in this text. These words, made alive, raised up, and seated, they all have a little prefix. A little prefix, soon. Soon, S-U-N, soon. And the little prefix means together. <laughs> so it actually says this. He together made alive us. Or as I put it in your 
bulletin this morning, made alive together us. Raised up together us. And <clears throat> seated together us. You see, in this text is the little hint of the church. And in the second part of chapter 2, he is really going to expand this idea that these things, this power of God was exercised not simply for me and you and him and her, but for us as a one thing. He made alive together us. He made us alive together. He seated together us. You, you, he could have said this with some other way from this little prefix if all he meant was in union with Christ. But I'm pretty sure, especially when you read the rest of chapter 2, what he means is together with each other in union with Christ. And the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians is for us to get an idea of the power of God exercised to produce the body of Christ, the church. That's why this section we call the making. How did God make the body of Christ? He made it by raising us together with Christ and seating us together with Christ at the right hand in the heavenly places. In my notes, I have soon and very soon. <laughs> Together. So if you asked who did God intervene for, the answer is us believers, as we read in chapter 1. The power of God toward us who believe. So we were dead. That was our condition. But God, because of the kind of person He is, I mean the kind of persons He is, God, in His mercy, made us alive. And that is why the Apostle can say, you used to walk this way. Now, I live in the real world. Do you sometimes feel like you still walk according to the flesh? According to your own self-absorbed desires? Well, that is because we live in Galatians chapter 5 in the competition between the Spirit who dwells in us and ourselves, our self-absorbed selves, the flesh. And so, there is this constant battle. And we are advised in Romans chapter 6, because we can, <laughs> not because we must or else, but because we can, because the Spirit is in us, and because God has made us alive again together with Christ, because that is true, we can 
offer ourselves to God, yield ourselves to God as instruments of his righteousness, and refuse to yield ourselves to sin, to sin. So now we have a new life opportunity that when we were dead, we had no awareness of. And in the end, when the final resurrection comes on the day of Christ, this whole thing will be completely conquered so that I will always walk in newness of life because I will see him as he is and therefore I will be like him. So, now we've been made alive. And so we ought to reflect the great love of God in among ourselves. But he doesn't stop with that. Raised us up, seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that, so that, oh, there's a purpose he has in mind in this. We tend to think that the purpose of the gospel is our salvation. And certainly that is one of its purposes. It is the announcement of salvation. But that's not the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose of all this is not so that a bunch of people will be saved or that a group of people will be saved. Why did God raise us up? Why did God seed us with him in the heavenly places? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. The ultimate purpose is, as we've already read in chapter 1, to the praise of the glory of His grace. Because God is worthy of all praise. Because God in Christ by the Spirit is the one who displays His mercy his love, his grace, his kindness, as the word is here. And so, in the end, in the ages to come, he is going to show he is going to show the surpassing riches of His grace. Again, surpassing. Past the boundary. Beyond measure. And His grace in this instance, His beneficence, His unobligated goodness. There's, it's just from Him. And in this case, it is exhibited in kindness. I love this word, kindness. 
the word kindness, it has a little righteousness in it. <laughs> it's like to do right by somebody is kind. To be of benefit is kind. God's kindness is the expression of God's grace. He looks at you and just gives it to you for no good reason, except that's the nature of who he is. He didn't look at me and see, oh, yeah, I, I want him on my side. No, any honest evaluation of me, nobody would want me on their side. I'm dead. What good is that? He made me alive because he is kind. His generous goodness. Now, this is all, it says, in order to show in the coming ages the immeasurable riches of his grace, Here's something I think we don't yet and maybe never will see or really appreciate the length of the reach of God's grace. I think, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. He didn't have to come down that far to get to me. Now, some of you, uh, it was a little more effort. No, I think... I underestimate the deadness of my deadness. I don't appreciate how dead I was and just how far God had to come to reach me. I don't think I appreciate it too much. I believe this will be the occupation of eternal life, to gaze, because it says here, in the future, he intends to show the riches of his grace, the surpassing riches of his grace. And because it's surpassing, it means we're never going to get to the bottom of it. And we will be exploring just how good is the goodness of God for all eternity. And every day in heaven, well, in the heaven that is now earth in the resurrection, every day we will go, oh, wow, it's better than I thought yesterday. The riches of His grace in His kindness toward us in Christ. And that is that great, glorious, the inheritance of the saints like we read at the end of chapter 1, this great, glorious, eternal service of worship. You know, I think sometimes when we talk about heaven as a service of worship, we, we sort of put people off the whole idea. But we are not talking about a regular old church service. We're talking about the church service of all time. We're talking about the gathering of the saints around the throne of grace to 
be showered in, celebrate, rejoice, dance, sing, whatever, to simply love the love of God in one voice with everyone who is a believer. Now, that was an interesting thing to say. Who is a believer? Because, you know, up until now, Paul's only said that once. The power of God toward us who believe. Toward us believers. And here's the something we do. We make too little and too much out of believe. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about next week. Where we read, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And sometimes we invest a lot of things in faith that aren't really in it. And we sort of turn faith back into earning and undo by grace. We make too much of it. But here's the thing. Faith, trusting in this promise of the Word of God, simply trusting in it, is all there is for us in this whole process. It's the whole thing to trust what God has done, give up earning it. So sometimes we make too little of it because, again, we're trying to add stuff onto it that isn't necessary and wasn't called for. As though we need to make our place in the heavenly places. When God says right here, He has already seated us there. By grace, you have been saved. It's a simple thing. It's possible this morning that you're sitting here and uh, this is news to you. And I would tell you this. God in Christ has accomplished all that is necessary for your right standing before God. He's done it all. There is nothing left for you except to receive the gift. So, if you're here this morning and you need to, <laughs> say yes. Right there in your seat between you and the Lord, you just say, that's what I want. That I will have that. Thank you. I trust that. I give up trusting my own goodness. I give up trusting anybody else's goodness except the goodness of Christ who gave Himself a sacrifice for me. I'll have that. That's all. And if you say, I'll have that, you have it already. If you trust it, it's yours. Because all of the work is from God. 
He made us alive. He seated us at the right hand. By grace, you have been saved. So the promise of God, if you trust in Christ and His work for you, is that you, this is you. You were dead, but you have been made alive in Christ along with the rest of us. Father, we give you thanks. We pray that these things would be true and real for everyone in this room. Father, we pray that we would bear these things in mind in life that as we go from this place because we have seen Your mercy, we would exercise Your mercy in this world so that other people maybe can see it. Because we know Your love, Lord, we ask that You would make us loving. Fill us with the Spirit, with this resurrection power. So that we walk in newness of life, reflecting the sacrificial love of Christ to the people around us. Lord, thank You for this amazing thing, for all of these amazing things which You have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.